0: Welcome to the ESG Academy, where the Hogan Lovells team quickly but thoroughly shares critical insights on key ESG issues that in-house counsel need to know. Today's episode is about corporate disclosure, reporting, and regulatory frameworks. Nicola Evans, a partner from our London office, has over 20 years' experience advising clients on game-changing and often innovative corporate finance transactions. And we'll be talking to Brian O'Fahey, of our DC office. Brian's diverse practice ranges from leading large and small acquisitions and divestitures, drafting SEC periodic reports and proxy statements, counseling clients on corporate governance matters, structuring finance arrangements, and negotiating executive agreements. With the tsunami of new global regulation on corporate disclosure, reporting, and regulatory frameworks, here's Nicola and Brian telling you everything you need to know.
1: Hi Nicola, it's great to be with you today to talk about ESG disclosure. 2021, we've had so many clients asking about ESG and it really feels like ESG disclosure has been in the ascendancy of people's minds. It seems like the biggest issue that people want to talk about these days are issues around ESG climate change disclosure. What's happening in the UK around those issues today?
2: Thanks, Brian, and likewise, really good to be here. And I completely agree, environmental disclosure is really on the top of clients' talking points at the moment. If we look at, um, for example, the recommendations that have been made by the Task Force on Climate-Related Financial Disclosures, or, or TCFD, These recommendations really have become the leading climate reporting framework across many, many jurisdictions, including in particular here in the UK. Um, These these recommendations aim to provide a standardised approach to climate change reporting so that risks and opportunities can be categorised by companies consistently with one another across multiple sectors and across multiple jurisdictions. So the TCFD recommendations are about giving better climate related information to all stakeholders to enable stakeholders to make properly informed comparisons about the companies concerned. Uh, It might help people to understand a little bit about the TCFD recommendations. They actually comprise overarching recommendations and specific recommended disclosures in broadly four areas. That's in the area of governance and that's really about how companies are governing climate related risks and the opportunities associated with the climate. The second area is strategy. So that's the actual and potential impacts that climate change can make on the business, its strategy and also on financial planning. The third category is around risk management. So that's about identifying the processes an organisation uses to identify, assess and actually manage those climate related risks. And the final area is metrics and targets. And that's really about assessment and management of those climate related risks and opportunities. And as I mentioned, Here in the UK, reporting in line with the TCFD recommendations was actually made mandatory for companies with a premium listing on the London Stock Exchange and applies to those companies for financial years beginning on or after the 1st of January 2021. So this means that we're actually going to begin to see the first reporting by companies against TCFD from probably March 2022 onwards. And here in the UK, it's our listing rules which require premium listed companies to state in their annual financial reports whether they have included climate related financial disclosures in line with TCFD. And if they haven't done so, they need to explain in their reports why they have failed to give that required disclosure. And you know, we've spent quite a lot of time, Brian, recently talking to clients about how they're preparing to be able to be in a position to make the required disclosures. And many have said that the biggest challenges in implementing the TCFD recommendations is actually navigating the vast array of overlapping guidance and frameworks, which aren't always consistent. Not only do you have um the TCFD recommendations which are themselves accompanied by guidance but you also have other organisations here in the UK such as the Financial Reporting Council, the Climate Disclosure Standards Board which have separately published their own guidelines and frameworks on climate related reporting and companies really are struggling to fit all those frameworks together and produce the right disclosure. Other challenges I've heard faced by clients as they get ready to report on TCFD include difficulties incorporating the processes for identifying those climate risks into their existing risk management processes. Clients talk about incomplete data and actually really big difficulties in gathering the data they need in order to make full and proper disclosure. And really importantly, the the final... um, theme I hear a lot is actually this is taking up a lot of pretty senior management time in putting together the right processes to make the required disclosure. And and finally uh, just to finish this off Brian I've mentioned that all of these rules currently apply only to premium listed companies here in the UK but the UK government has also announced proposals to extend the mandatory reporting to other organisations, likely from 2025. So come this time, other large private companies um, and other financial institutions such as insurers, asset managers, banks across the UK will also have to report against TCFD. Okay, Brian, I've talked a little bit about what's going on here in the UK, but climate is also the focus of attention in the US. It would be great to hear from you as to what you anticipate seeing over the coming months and, and years.
1: Thanks, Nicola. Well, it's really interesting hearing what's happening in the UK. I, hearing that, I feel a little bit like there's a bit of a parallel universe occurring because in the in the US here, Many of the same issues that you talked about uh, and many of the same questions clients have and and sort of the frameworks from a regulatory standpoint seem to be evolving in the same direction. But I think we're getting there in a different way. And so the first thing to understand in the US is that looking at the kind of rise of ESG and the focus of investors on uh, different types of ESG disclosure, in particular climate change, You know, to date, up to the present time, that has really been a market driven response, not one imposed by government regulation. What's interesting is that most of that disclosure has really been voluntary disclosure that I think can be described as as companies telling their story. And it sort of, I would frame it as sort of from a corporate citizenship standpoint, that corporations and, and entities are trying to explain to all of those different stakeholders, why they are doing the right thing and helping their communities and society and the world around these issues. And I think that right now in the US, we're kind of at an inflection point where we're changing from that sort of private ordering structure to one where now we're supplementing that with regulation. And currently from a US regulatory perspective, current regulations really trace back to guidance that the SEC put out in 2010 That guidance was actually authored by one of our partners, Mike McTiernan, when he was at the SEC back in 2010. And what that guidance does is it takes the US's principles-based disclosure framework and it sort of brainstorms climate change issues on top of that and explains the ways that climate change might be material in a whole different uh, parts of disclosure to companies, whether it's in terms of risk factors and litigation, MDNA and all of those different areas. In the years since that guidance was issued, really, I don't think many companies have spent a lot of time focusing on that guidance. It was issued uh, and out there, but really the SEC didn't police it. And so, from a regulatory perspective, it just hasn't been a focus of the staff, I think you could say fairly, until about 12 months ago. And, you know, in the US, the SEC, as the regulator, um, Rulemaking in the in the SEC at the SEC uh, is done by the SEC commissioners, which is a, a group of five persons who are appointed. And the way our system works is that essentially whatever party is in control of the White House has a majority of those five votes. And so, as you can imagine, when you have a change in administration with different policy viewpoints, and here in the US, I think it's fair to say probably more than the UK. Climate change is an issue that tends to have a political undercurrent and, and different perspectives on the two sides of the aisle. So 12 months ago when President Biden was elected, there was a clear change at the SEC. And I think the first thing that happened was that the SEC really for the first time began to focus on enforcing that 2010 guidance and making more of an effort to really apply it and think through what disclosures might be appropriate. And this is also occurring in the context of that guidance now being more than 10 years old and obviously a lot has changed in the last 10 years. So the staff has really started to focus on that. They've issued a sample comment letter a few months ago that really walks through that guidance and and, uh, applies it in a way that I think, again, most companies historically probably haven't been thinking about. And so we're getting a lot of questions from companies looking ahead to next annual report season about how to better make sure that they are applying that guidance and supplementing their current disclosures with more robust disclosures that meet that framework. And so that's the first thing the SEC is doing, which you could describe as really making more of an effort to kind of enforce the current regulations as drafted. I mentioned though, that of course, we had a change in administration and it can take several years after a change in administration for new regulations to take effect. And so the second thing that the SEC has been doing is working on a new rule proposal regarding climate change that I think is intended to reflect the fact that the current principles-based disclosure regime may not be perfectly suited to an issue like this and may not pick up all of the things that investors are asking uh, to understand about climate change. And I think the, the one change that's occurring now is that there's more of a focus, not just on getting disclosure that sort of tells a citizenship story but also having disclosure that really describes the ways that a transition to a carbon free economy or a reduced carbon economy affects a company both positively and negatively we always are getting questions asking about what's the status of those rules there's a lot of uh, focus on it and i think a lot of anticipation for those so we'd anticipate new proposed rules to be issued by the sec any day now and i would expect those rules to be finalized sometime later this year by mid-year perhaps. Those rules are very likely to have some significant phase-in period. When you look at the speeches by the commissioners who are more progressive leaning and who are supportive of these initiative, uh, the TCFD I think is gonna be very influential in terms of what the SEC does. I think similarly, the the recently formed ISSB, the International Sustainability Standards Board, is also likely to be influential. And so I think at the end of the day, we may end up seeing a regime in the US that looks quite a bit like the UK regime, even if we get there in, in a different way. So Nicola, I think that kind of summarizes where things are at with climate change, which I think is the biggest issue on people's mind. But of course, In ESG, there's a lot of things happening. Can we talk a little bit about the S in ESG, the social side, because certainly in 2010 and 2011, that's also been an issue that's been at the forefront of people's minds. What's happening in in the UK around those issues right now from a disclosure standpoint?
2: Okay, well, I think, firstly, I absolutely agree with you. We hear a lot about climate and also governance, but less emphasis on reporting on the S here in the UK, but there are many, many rules and regulations already in place which do prompt uh, clear disclosure on social matters. Not only have these requirements increased over recent years, but they are continually on the subject of change, which can and does prove challenging for a corporate. But here in the UK, listed companies are required to comply and have been required to comply for many years with the UK Corporate Governance Code, which is issued by our Financial Reporting Council. And, and compliance with the code includes annual disclosures on succession, on diversity of corporate senior levels. And it also requires uh, a, an, a company to describe its purpose and how its purpose Uh, is filtered through the entire organisation. Additionally, uh, directors of UK companies, when exercising their duties as directors, are required by law to have regard amongst other matters to the interests of the company's employees, and also the need to foster relationships with suppliers, customers and others. And the company directors are required to consider all these matters each time they make um, a decision that impacts the company. We also have obligation on large organisations based here in the UK to publish an annual modern slavery statement. Corporates can expect further changes to this legislation in the coming months and these changes are expected to bring greater clarity to the statements that are being made and more consistency to that reporting amongst issuers themselves. We've also got mandatory gender pay gap reporting, but we don't yet have mandatory ethnicity pay gap reporting, although our UK government has consulted on proposals. That being said, a number of organisations do already voluntarily report on ethnicity pay gaps. And finally, on the S, uh, let's just touch on diversity here in the UK. Yes, diversity on boards of UK companies is improving. I heard one statistic recently which said that 85 out of the FTSE 100 companies had achieved at least 33% female representation on their boards and that of these 85 companies, 16 had 50% female representation at board level. That's clearly great progress, but it's still not enough for a number of our regulators here in the UK. And I'm thinking specifically about the Bank of England and our Financial Conduct Authority, because about halfway through this year, these bodies published a discussion paper setting out policy options. drive better diversity and inclusion amongst financial services companies. So here in the UK uh, financial services companies in particular are watching to see what happens during the course of this year but there's certainly an expectation that more will be required from financial services companies to improve diversity. And Brian, I just wanted to mention one other development, this time at an EU level, because I do think this is is pretty interesting. So in Europe, um, we're soon going to be seeing legislation that's going to require supply chain due diligence. And these obligations are going to require companies over a certain size to undertake mandatory due diligence on their supply chains in order to identify issues relating to a variety of ESG-related matters. So, Brian, that's what's going on around the S here in the UK. But perhaps you can tell us a little bit more about human capital requirements in the US. Yes,
1: well, it was really interesting hearing what's happening in the UK. And I mentioned in hearing you talk about climate change, how it feels like the UK and the US are in some ways heading towards very similar regimes. On human capital and the general social issues that you talked about, I think actually that's not the case quite as much. And you could see the differences in the sort of two legal cultures um, more on this issue. And on, on general social issues in the US, again, this is one where also to date, most of the, the, the real movement on these issues is part of a private ordering where you know, companies are just voluntarily speaking to different stakeholders that are really interested in these issues as opposed to responding to regulation. Where in the UK, it seems like there's more of an appetite to actually have regulations around these issues. In the US, that's not as much the case, although that is starting to change a little bit. One of the biggest issues on in this area, I think of the last 12 months in the US has been around board diversity. And yet one feature of our system here in the US is that Corporations elect their directors in most cases annually but periodically and that gives shareholders an opportunity to express their voice through that process and as more Money is is being put into index funds and other large institutions. Those institutions have adopted policies that have really become much more influential in terms of getting boards to respond because if you don't have systems or policies that are compliant with those institutional guidelines, that can be a basis that directors are recommended against. And of course, directors don't wanna have, you know, annual votes that have low vote totals in terms of their re-election, there's a real you know personal incentive for directors to be to be concerned about those issues. And so here in the US, the NASDAQ just approved rules a few months ago that beginning this year, NASDAQ listed companies. Will be required to report data regarding the diversity of its board of directors both in terms of aggregate gender diversity and racial and ethnic diversity as well as the number of directors that self-identify as lgbtq all of this information is phrased in terms of self-identification but it's a real change because historically we have not had that information reported now, what's caught a lot of people's attention is that those rules also have, after a multi year phase in, a requirement ultimately that most NASDAQ companies will have a minimum objective of having at least one self identified woman on the board and one person who self identifies as either uh, basically under our EEOC framework essentially a non-white director as, as the US law would think about it or a member of the LGBTQ plus community. So that's a real change because historically there has not been any kind of minimum requirement or objective in those areas and that's something that has gotten people's attention. I mentioned that that part of the rule is going to take effect over many years but what's actually, I think, going to be more impactful in some ways is that proxy advisory firms and institutional investors are already changing their policies around these issues. So I think all of that is really uh, causing companies to focus on board diversity, bring it to the forefront in a way that it hadn't been in the past. Although there had been a lot of momentum, but I think those rules have really accelerated that. And while they haven't, similar rules have not yet been adopted by the NYSE or uh, or any other. Uh, stock exchanges, I think that the NASDAQ rules are somewhat serving uh, as a precedent that I think most companies are looking to kind of meet that minimum threshold. And really, even if they're not binding on all companies, causing, I think, most companies to want to at least meet those minimum standards. So in addition to the overall focus on board diversity, from a regulatory standpoint, we also have pending rule proposals regarding what we call human capital management. And at the end of last year, new rules took effect that for the first time required companies to kind of apply our principles-based disclosure regime in the context of what we call human capital management. The SEC appears poised to revisit those uh, issues and likely propose new rules again. And like climate change, I think the theme around those rules is that we're likely to see more prescriptive disclosure requirements regarding for example workforce diversity and some of the you know some of the same things that Nicola you mentioned uh, and I said su- it'll be interesting to see what those rules exactly have but I think companies should expect that there will be more reporting regarding diversity topics and uh, workforce uh, data issues in their public filings and when you combine that with the the additional metrics that are likely to be required from a climate change disclosure standpoint, I think that will introduce a lot of new metrics in public company disclosures here in the US that we haven't had previously. And I think one of the changes for companies will be that those types of metrics, both on climate change and on human capital management, are gonna require companies to apply a level of rigor to really making sure that that data is consistent from period to period and comparable from company to company, and really moving from a voluntary disclosure regime to one that more mirrors the financial reporting regime we have regarding audited financial statements. And making so basically, I think the theme there is that, you know, and there may be assurance requirements around many of these topics, but I think companies should expect that their finance department uh, is gonna need to understand these types of metrics and be on top of reporting them, even if historically they may have been things that were more in the purview of the HR department or the business side of the house. So Nicola, that kind of describes, I think, what's happening in the US around these issues. So it's been really interesting hearing the UK perspective on this, and I think 2022 will be a very interesting year in both jurisdictions around a lot of these issues, and I think it's gonna require a lot of attention uh, and it'll be interesting to see where it goes.
2: That's great, Brian. It's been good talking to you today and sharing views on what's going on um, in your jurisdiction and comparing it to what's going on in ours. Maybe we should try and pick this conversation
0: up later this year and see how things have progressed. Thanks so much to Nicola and Brian for today's discussion. Visit hoganlevels.com forward slash ESG for more podcasts, videos, and resources, or download more episodes from the Apple Podcast app or the Google Podcast app for Android users.